what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Forecast. We are your connection to the who's who in the game of golf. We hope to make you laugh, learn, and win, and grow your golf IQ. I'm your host, Alan Burton, Director of Instruction for the Alan Burton Golf Academy at Lake Hickory Country Club in Hickory, North Carolina. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. You can find us on TheMesh.tv, along with all your other favorite podcasts at TheMesh.tv. And you can check us out on Apple Podcasts. You can check us out on Spotify, Stitcher, Heart, uh, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, uh, all the basic podcast platforms that are out there. So I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. I have a fantastic guest today. I'm very pleased to have a little time to chat with our good buddy up the road there in Morganton, North Carolina, uh, caddy for Kevin Kisner. And with us this morning is Mr. Dwayne Bach. Dwayne, thanks for taking some time out with us, buddy. Glad you're here. Absolutely, Alan. Good morning. Yeah. I tell you, our times are different now. You know, you're spending a lot of time at home with your family and uh, I know that's there's some enjoyable aspects to it. How are things going there in, in the environment there in Morganton there at your house? Tell me about your day. What's happening most days? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of like Groundhog Day, to be honest with you. I mean, every morning uh, the kids get up and have breakfast. They, uh, they check their online uh, assignments. They do their work, uh, have a little bit of reading time, a little bit of study. We have lunch, and then we head out to the golf course. So uh, we are fortunate enough here that uh, our club, Mimosa Hills, is open. Um, it is restricted to members only, and um, you know the driving range is is uh, is not shut down, but just irons only, that type of deal. So we're not touching the the golf balls, we're not touching the flag sticks, the rakes, and all that other stuff is is up. But uh, but we're able to get out and uh, exercise a little bit, and walk eighteen holes, and play some golf with the kids every day. So uh, that's kind of been the routine. Well, that's great. I, I know you're. You're very proud of your youngsters. I'm I'm really excited watching their careers from from the sidelines and seeing the great things that your your daughter and your son are doing. You, know, Alec and, and Albany, both great accomplished junior golfers. Are you their primary swing instructor, or you just play dad, or how how does that go in your house? Um, it really it, it depends on uh, the day, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. Some days they uh, they they like to listen. Some days they don't. Um, I'm fortunate enough that uh, Jimmy Piercy, the head pro here, uh, Mimosa, he's he's great with juniors. Um, his communication with the kids is great. Um, and then another another kid that uh, that is at Mimosa, he's a mini tour. Uh, he's a playing professional. He qualified for the Wells Fargo and made the cut last year at Charlotte. He's made the cut a couple of times at some Web.com events um, or now Corn Ferry events. So the kids really look up to him. Uh, he plays some golf with them. Um, he gives them some some tips on the driving range, and they seem to to listen a little bit more um, as far as the, the the physical side of the game from those two. Um, and I'm out there playing with them and just trying to help them manage themselves around the golf course a little bit better. Um, and then we like to keep stats. Um, we we keep stats on you know how many you know shots we we threw away around the greens. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm a big 
believer that uh you know my 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 career was was spent because I, I hit a lot of fairways and then I beat people around the greens with chipping and putting I was never really a a a, a top ball striker but um and and that's that's a big part of the game I believe and and uh even caddying for Kevin um Kevin doesn't bomb the golf ball he he has to manage himself around the golf course to beat these guys and and that's what we do very well and and so that's what I try to install into my kids well that's a fantastic message and i know um you know for our listeners just to kind of understand where where you've come from as a golfer I and mean, you started out as a as a golfer not a caddy and and you were a fantastic uh, amateur golfer uh, as well as a pro for about 12 years and so kind of going back into those days i know you played college golf at campbell university and you, you came out of east hampton uh, high school and you're now a, a hall of fame there uh hall of fame member in at the east ha east hampton high school uh sports hall of fame that's fantastic and take us back to those college days and and your your tournament win there at the north south in pinehurst i think it was 1992 uh, that's a phenomenal accomplishment i was looking through the past champions at that tournament it's just the who's who in the game of golf i mean you got jack nicholas jack nicholas's son you got davis love you got curtis strange i mean these are the golfers of, of legendary stuff and, and you were the 92 north south amateur champions so tell tell us about how you prepared for that win and what did you do to be successful at piners number two as a golfer well um you know it's kind of it kind of leads up to my road um you know i when I played, I, I grew up in New York, Long Island, New York, and East Hampton. And so coming from a small area, I wasn't recruited um, when it came to going to college. So uh, I had to kind of fight my way into some places. And I looked at some schools, and Campbell was the only school that would give me an opportunity to just come on campus and try out with the team. Uh, everybody else, um, it was going to be a, a walk-on tryout type of deal where if I – got through walk-on tryouts, then I could practice with the team for a year. And then the second year, maybe if I was good enough, I, I could go through the qualifying process and maybe make the team. But Campbell said, hey, you come on here and you're a walk-on and uh, you go to tryouts. If you're good enough, make the top five or six, whatever was going to travel, then uh, then you would travel. So I decided to come to Campbell and uh, I went there. And, and fortunate enough, I was able to get through the qualifying process right away. And um Played all four years at Campbell and and worked my way up into a uh, to be a scholar uh, a, a scholarship player and um, and then my fifth year I had I took five years to graduate at Campbell and Campbell was was nice enough to uh, invite me back to uh, to school and and let me become the assistant help uh, assist uh, Tim uh, John Crooks as the head professional I mean the head coach so I was his assistant for a year of my fifth year. So I was still able to uh, go to school, graduate, stay around the game, stay around uh, competitive golf. And um, and then I graduated in 92 and left uh, left Campbell and went straight over to Pinehurst. And um, after, uh, I guess, what is it, six days and eight rounds of golf and uh, two, two, uh, two rounds of stroke play and then uh, into the round of 64 and managed to get through all my matches and, and win that um, early in the summer of 1992, which uh, propelled me to be number nine in the, in the country as an amateur. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but that just having to fight for everything that I've had to 
had to, I've had to earn everything, I guess to say is, um, so, you know, that match play kind of mentality is, is really, um, I love it. Um, Kevin has that, um, finishing runner up and then winning last year in the match play for two years in a row, we made it to the finals there. Um, and, and he's kind of taken that same road. He's had to fight for everything he's won at every level. So, um, there's a lot to be said with that. Um, when things you have to earn your, your way, it's, uh, it, it makes you a little bit tougher. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I think he's definitely known as a bulldog to quote, go to, I think he's, his, uh, his mentality is, uh, it is really, really tough through, through times, uh, golfers don't always have that mentality though, do they? I mean, they don't always have that ability to deal with adversity properly. Um, so with your, you, do you remember anything at all about the weeks leading up to your win in 92? I, I know that we're, we're going back in the history book a little bit, but tell us, you know, what you remember about how you prepared. Did you get over to Pinehurst and play the golf course a lot leading up to this tournament or how familiar were you with the course and you know, what are some things you remember about your preparation to do that? Uh, well, it's, it's, it's kind of a unique story. Actually, I had a, a good friend of mine, Ken Wooten, who was, uh, he was a teammate of mine. Um, and he met his college sweetheart in college. Um, and then that fifth year he graduated on time. I took five years, so I was still in school, but in, uh, I think it was that January, he, uh, he got married in Seattle, Washington. So, um, I went out to Seattle to be in his wedding and, um, we, as uh, part of the, the wedding party, we went out and played golf and, uh, I happened to slip and fall and, uh, I dislocated my patella while I was out there. So when I came back, um, I had some arthroscopic surgery on my knee. I wasn't able to play golf. And that was all leading up. That was the January of uh, 1992. So I spent a lot of time. All I could do was chip and putt. And uh, I spent uh, pretty much three months of my rehab was all chipping and putting. And um, the weekends, we Campbell is only about an hour from, from Pinehurst. So uh, I would drive on the weekends and go over there and, and just use their facility as chipping and putting. Um, but um, that was pretty much my my uh, my way to prepare for the North-South. Um, and it was also a tournament where you have to kind of get invited to. My I remember uh, I was denied. My coach, I had my coach write a letter. I had my coach uh, uh, make some phone calls to the tournament committee. And, uh, and I finally got that invitation to, uh, to be one of their participants. So, um, it was through, it wasn't just handed to me, uh, coach had to kind of let them know what my accomplishments in, in college and, and that I deserved a spot to at least get into the field of, uh, to try to, to try to make it into match play. So, um, but that, preparation was all short game and and um i'll never forget that final match it's 36 holes i had the i think i had a one or two uh two hole lead going into lunch and then we came out and um i got up and down the last seven holes in a row that final match two up so it was my short game that that won that golf tournament for me um the longest hitter um i was that being out driven by 40 50 yards guys were reaching par fives and two and I'd have to lay it up to a hundred yards and, and, uh, that 16th hole at the time was playing as a par five and, um, Derek Brinker was playing in the finals, reached it in two and I laid it up to a hundred yards and got it up and down from a hundred yards. And, um, 
to, to maintain a one-up lead there. And then I hit it in the back bunker on 17 in a dead position to a back pin. I almost hold that bunker shot and got that up and down, stayed one up, and then got up and down on 18 to uh, to actually win the, win the 18th hole and one two up. But wow. uh, seven coming up and down, you know, getting the ball up and down and, and in spots where, I mean, I was – I was nervous. Um, my throat was dry. My hands were shaking. I was hitting the golf ball all over the lot, but um, but I got it up and down, and uh, and that's what won me the championship. And that's what uh, you know. Th- those are the things that I try to install in my kids is that how important the short game really is. No, that's incredible. What well, were you a short game guy that would kind of stick to one club? Did you have a favorite sand wedge that you used all the time everywhere? Or are you a multiple club guy around the green? Uh, well, I was, I'm kind of a, a multiple club. My dad, um, my dad loved to play the uh, short game, uh, along the ground. Um, used a lot of seven irons and eight irons and, and hit a lot of bump and run shots. Um, mm-hmm. my dad believed the sand wedge was used for the bunker and, and pretty much that was it. Unless you had to hit a flop shot. I'll never forget that uh, in college um, in the early 90s is kind of when that lob wedge, the 60-degree wedge came out. And I'll never forget um, I was one of the only ones that, that did not carry a 60-degree wedge. I, I only carried a 56-degree wedge. And um, more or less is because I couldn't hit it anywhere. I never really had length. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I'd hit a 60-degree wedge and, and the ball would go – 60 yards 70 yards I, I never really hit it very far and and then on top of that using those balada balls those soft balls the balls would would spin and and um and to be honest with you i didn't really have a lot of balls to be scuffing up and things like that so um so I, but I, I learned the game um uh both ways um there was a lot of times when um i thought my dad was crazy hitting a seven iron and he could have just pitched it on the green but um but I learned from him an early um, when I was young how easy or not really easy, but how um, the shots, a bad shot would always work out a little bit better than my bad shot. You know, when I, when I miss hit one, when I was using a sand wedge, I mean, I either fatted it or I sculled it and the right. results were just awful. Where when he miss hit one, I mean, shoot, he still had a 10, 10 footer to, to still save par. And uh, right the things that I learned early. Um, and, and another thing is, is, is when I was growing up, I worked at a private club in East Hampton called the Maidstone club. So I was, a I caddied in the morning and then I worked in the bag room in the afternoon and picked up the range. And when I was waiting for those last carts to come in and the members to come in, I was always chipping and putting outside the clubhouse, um, waiting for those last members to come in before dark. And so I spent a lot of time doing it. And I, I just loved it. I did. It was something that it didn't matter who I was competing against, whether it was the the pros there at the club or if it was other caddies or if it was my older brothers. It, I felt like I could compete around the greens with anybody. It didn't really matter where if we went out on the on on a big course. Well, of course they're gonna at fourteen, fifteen years old. They're gonna kill me because I hit it so far. But um, chipping and putting, we could always uh, have a fair match, and and it was a way to win a dollar or two late in the evening. You know. Uh, gambling and gambling with those guys so um the short game was always part of part of something that i enjoyed practicing yeah now it was um was your your childhood spent with um long hours and and days on the golf course or were you a multiple athlete did you play other sports as a youngster i did i played all golf. 
Well, base, baseball was Little League. I played baseball all the way through eighth grade. Um, it was Little League all the way through until seventh grade. In seventh grade, we moved up to uh, the regular um, field, um, regulation bases and everything. And, and uh, I played third base, and I was uh, also a pitcher. So I I did that. Um, and then uh, golf in New York, um, when you moved to high – and I also played five years. I would, in, in New York State, you're allowed five years of varsity sports. So – even though I was in middle school in eighth grade, I was able to uh, to play uh, a varsity golf in the high school level. So I played five years of varsity golf. Um, but uh, in New York State, uh, it's a fall season and a spring season for us. We play uh, head-to-head match play matches, uh, school against school. The number one player would play against the number one player the uh, the other school, um, and that was all worth one point. And then, uh, and then the low three scores um, from the team that would add up to three more points. So there were six people on the team, and you were able to win nine points each match. And then, so we did that in the fall. And then in the spring, we had our our conference turn. We had, it was all stroke play. So we would have our um, all the schools would get together and play eighteen hole matches as as stroke play matches. Um, and then we had our conference tournaments and our state tournaments and our county tournaments were all in the spring. So it was kind of a split season for us. Um, and then in the wintertime, um, my first two years of high school, I bowled. Um, my dad was a big bowler. Um, so I just kind of, he always talked about bowling. He had bowling trophies in his house and things like that around the house. And so I, I bowled my first two years, but I, my love, I always loved basketball. Um, it was, it, my friends were playing basketball. So my last two years, my junior and senior year, I played basketball. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, um, I wasn't again, just like golf. I'm not the longest. I'm not the, you know, the straightest, but, uh, but I managed to, to be able to compete on the basketball court because I, I didn't, I didn't throw the ball away. I could shoot the basketball and, and, I, you know, I couldn't jump higher than anybody, but I seemed to always be on the weak side and get that weak side rebound type of deal and, and things like that. So, um, I learned a lot. My golf kind of, you learn a lot by playing other sports and things like that. And, and uh, I believe that kids growing up need to play uh, multiple sports and be athletes first. And you learn, um, you learn from each sport and you apply that to the sport that you're playing at the time. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's something parents need to hear. Um, a lot of times the, the youngsters get into golf and they want them to over-specialize and spend all of their time developing their skills as golfers and I think it's a mistake to really focus early on on one sport I think there's potential for burnout I think there's potential for you know injury and and a lot of potential danger just to you know to get this this kid needs an opportunity to develop and grow in in a lot of ways and team sports you know golf has some team opportunities obviously now with with the PGA Junior League and and I know your um, your young golfers have played there and, and it's a great opportunity but you know, they need the other athletic motion and, and the other sports do a lot of opportunity uh, for, for growing as a, as a person and, and as an athlete, like you say. So I think parents need to hear that. Fantastic. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. So with, um, you know, are you at this point in your, in your golf career, I know you're getting to play a good bit right now. And, and do you feel like you've learned things about the golf swing that have helped you as a golfer? Uh, what are some of the things you've learned if you have, and, you know, you look back at your career as a, a young pro, what would you go back and do differently that might've kept you playing? 
uh, any things that you've picked up or learned along the way that you could share with us there? Um, because I've always struggled with my ball striking as, as far as being consistent and, and, um, hitting, hitting shots more consistently, I guess. I, one thing that I did learn and, and I, you know, now that I'm 50, it's, it's changed. But back when I, you know, I, I quit playing, you know, 15 years ago or you know 18 years ago, whenever it was. But, um, one thing I said is, man, I, I wish I caddied before I actually went out and played because I, one thing I did realize is how these these guys at the at the elite level at the, the best of the best on on how they they still miss golf shots, mm-hmm. um, and at the time when growing up in in the late '80s early '90s golf coverage was always, you know I just remember this be the last three or four holes of of the golf tournament and uh, and then when they did expand to maybe the back nine and things like that we only saw the leaders we only saw the players that were were hitting the the great shots and making the long putts. And I just thought that's what pros did. I thought that's what the elite, the best of the best did. But um, now that I've caddied, I mean, these, I mean, I, I mean, you, you see it all. Um, One of my favorite stories of all time is, is um, just last year and this year, actually in Hawaii, we were paired with Webb Simpson, um, top 10 player in the world, major championship, and he birdies. We started. We were in Hawaii. We started on ten, and he birdies ten. We stand up on the eleventh hole, which is a par three, and he takes this six iron, whatever it was, and just flat out shanked it. And um, luckily, it hit a tree, not knowing it. It didn't go out of bounds. I mean, it's heading right for the condos. Thought it was out of bounds. Retees another one and kind of hits this big old slice that goes in the hazard. Doesn't go out of bounds, but it's in a hazard. And I'm like, this guy is gonna make a twelve on this hole. Um, but he luckily stayed in bounds by about a yard and walked off his little, you know, 90 yard shot or whatever it was and knocked it on the green and almost makes par makes bogey. And he goes on and shoots like 63 for the day. And so here's a guy who just literally shanks a golf ball. And then it was like, it never even happened. Um, and I joke around with him and he, and he says he shanks probably a handful of shots every year. And it, but it just, to be able to have that mental, ability to get over that um it's uh it's quite impressive so um as, but as far as technique and and learning uh, you know what have i learned i one thing i have learned is that um not to really have the rabbit ears i guess to say not everybody what kevin's working on isn't going to help me um it could not be might not help the next guy that's sitting on the driving range um instruction is very important finding an instructor that that knows your golf swing that there isn't um there isn't a blueprint for everybody um but getting an instructor in front of you that understands your golf swing that can that can break down your golf swing and just because i'm standing on the range the member next to me doesn't need to be working on the same thing that i'm working on so um instruction is a very very um um an important tool to have um, somebody that to be your eyes because feel and real are two different things. I, I really, um, it's like, I, I think I'm doing something and then you put it on video and it's like, Oh my gosh, I'm not even close to that. Um, so instruction is, is very, very important. Somebody to, to, to look over you and, and watch what you're doing. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate probably you do bringing it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you bringing that reality to the conversation because I, I have a, um, a conversation often with my players that they're saying they want to be more consistent with their ball striking. They want to be more si- consistent with their golf swing. And 
the analogy I used oftentimes is the golf swings are like signatures. I mean, you have a signature. Um, you might recognize your signature, but if I ask you to write your signature down on a piece of paper 10 times in a row and make them look exactly the same, you won't be able to do it. There'll be subtle variations in each of those signatures and golf swings are kind of like that. The human skills is amazing, but it's not designed for absolute mechanical perfection over and over and over again. Um, so I think that's really interesting. Absolutely. But, um, you know, every golfer wants to be more consistent. Every golfer wants to hit it farther. And what have you learned about the, the accuracy component of a golf swing? Tell me what your knowledge says about hitting a golf ball with some reasonable accuracy, control and direction. Uh, well, I, I think that that comes with understanding your golf swing. Um, I, I think that uh, once you understand your golf swing and what you're working on and, and, uh, and learning why a, a ball went to the right or went to the left, um, you can, you can, apply what you, what you already know and, and, and correct that. And, and that's where, you know, again, instruction is, is so valuable, but, um, you know, I just going back and, and the career that uh, I've been fortunate enough to be 12 years now with Kevin. And, and, uh, so I've, I've been with him through his whole professional career that he's needed a caddy. So, um, we've been through four instructors, I believe he's been on, uh, with John Tillery now for the last six or seven years. Um, so, but, going through some instructors before John, um, Kevin didn't quite understand why he was hitting certain shots. Um, he was felt like he was doing the same things, but one would produce a ball that went to the right and one would produce a ball that went to the left. Um, and then on top of that, also distance control would be, be off because it'd be a slight mishit. So once he understood the reasons why he hit certain shots, um, and then could apply that while, especially while we're out during a competing during the round, um, it's consistent consistency got so much better. Um, yeah. and, uh, and that's, that's, that's the biggest thing about consistency is understanding what produces certain shots. Um, yeah. and even my son's only 13 years old. Um, you know, he, he's starting to learn why a ball went left or why a ball went right. And, and then applying just in his pre-shot routine, what he needs to do. Um, if he's, you know, missing multiple shots to the left, what he just needs to do to the feel he needs to, to to accomplish during a pre-shot routine. So when he gets over the ball, then he just can go ahead and hit it. Right. Now, as Kevin, uh, as a player, is he what you'd consider a very technical guy? Does he have a track man? Does he use track man measuring what's going on with his face and path and attack angle and, and, and carry distances? Or is he just a a guy that feels like, no, I don't need that. I want to, want to kind of figure it out with feel or how does he go about what he does? Yeah. Kevin's one of the few that does not travel with it, uh, with a, with a track man. He doesn't own it. Um, now his teachers, of course, they, they own it short game even has it. Um, so, uh, when he gets on a track, man, it's, it's, uh, it's more, um, as, as we call it, the weeks off, um, for just instruction. But while we're, while we're, while we're playing, we'll, we will get on a track, man, but we'll go through the wedge with, they have a wedge combine on there. So, um, it just, it'll spit out a number. Um, and then he has to hit it, hit it that number. So we, we use the track man for that. Um, but he's not very technical. He's, he's a lot of feel. Um, that's, I think that's why he's such a great putter. Um, he sees the shot. Um, he sees the flight of the shot, the trajectory of the shot. Um, um, now he understands what he has to do to, you know, in his golf swing to produce that shot. But, um, when he's over it, no, he just, uh, it's kind of more of a look and react. And, 
And the same with, with putting, um, he just kind of, he sees, he sees the shape of the putt. I'm a straight line putter. Um, that's why I feel it's difficult for me to read greens for him. Um, because he sees the curve in the putt. Um, and, uh, so he, he does a lot with his eyes and with feel. Um, so, uh, I would say he's not very technical in that aspect, but he understands, he knows his golf swing inside out. I mean, it's not, yeah. it's kind of a combination. I think when he's, when he's competing and when he's out on the golf course, he's feel, but when he has a week off and he's grinding, he's very technical. That's interesting. I think that's what that's what brings him to that elite level, and he's able to to understand the technical elements of his swing. But when it comes down and the and the bell rings and you got to compete, you're you're trying to play the golf shots. You know, you're trying to see them and feel them, and and not understanding numbers necessarily other than yardages. Um, I think that's fantastic. That's why he's an elite player. So where go back a little bit to where you met uh kevin i know uh, the history says that you you guys met at a u.s open qualifier and he missed unfortunately missed qualifying that particular week by one stroke i think from what i've i've read um that led to a, a career with with a top level player um when you finally did get into a u.s open do you remember the first u.s open you guys qualified for yeah well i mean well we first uh it was kind of almost full circle. The first time I ever met Kevin was in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I was caddying for uh, a kid at the time. He no longer plays, but uh, his name was Doug LaBelle. He was on tour. I caddied for him for two years. Um, and we had the second stage of the U.S. Open Qualler in Memphis, Tennessee, just before the Memphis tournament. And uh, we were not in the Memorial, which is always typically the week before uh, Memphis at the time. And so we went to Memphis early, and uh, we you have to play thirty six holes on two different one eighteen on two different golf courses. Um, so we went on Saturday and went to the pro shop, checked in. We're going to go play a practice round. Went to the first tee, and this young kid sitting there with his with his um, with his college coach and um, ready to tee off. So we join him up, and it happens to be Kevin, and uh, we spent the day together. Um, and Kevin and I just kind of hit it off. We just, uh, we talked all day. Um, I really loved his attitude. He was fresh out of going to the university of Georgia, um, just won the national championship and things like that. So, um, we hit it off. He has, I, I loved how he was asking, uh, Doug a lot of questions about the tour, um, tour life, things to get better, what he needed to work on. Um, he was just open-minded with everything. He wasn't that little arrogant punk that, thought he knew it all, thought he was better than other people. He was really open-minded and wanted to, wanted to learn. So we asked a lot of questions. And, um, so we, uh, he asked to play with Doug the next day. So we played, uh, actually played Saturday and Sunday practice rounds with him. Um, and we just stayed in touch. He did not get through tour school. And then in, uh, 2000, uh, 2009, I was looking, that was 2007, 2009, um, I was looking for work at Q school. I called Kevin up and, uh, I went to finals with him in 2009 and it was down in, uh, West Palm beach, Florida. And, uh, that's where he missed his, um, missed his tour card by a shot, but, uh, he played well. He, uh, never backed down and I, I'll never forget when I came home. Um, I told my wife, I said, this kid has something special. I just, I just knew it. I saw it. Um, he had th something about him that, uh, that other people don't have. And, uh, and, um, I knew that, uh, for lack of better terms, I, I, you know, I, I really thought that, you know, 
he was going to make me a lot of money <laughs> if we could, uh, if we could stay together. So, uh, um, here we are 12 years later, but as far as our first U S open, um, our first, we qualified for our use first U S open at that same place that we met in Memphis, Tennessee, I believe it's called the colonial country club, 36 holes there. We played both golf courses and he qualified. Um, and then it also happened to be, uh, back at Pinehurst where I won the North South. So, um, what qualifying was at the, the same same venue as uh, as where we met, and then uh, our first U.S. Open together was uh, was Pinehurst, North Carolina, where where I won the North South. So um, it was it was pretty pretty neat to get back there and, and play. And and it also happened to be he's his uh, his daughter was born. Um, I think it was either that Monday or that Tuesday of of uh, of of, uh, of the U.S. Open. So I was there and, and I was on site and I, I did my coursework and stuff, but he didn't show up until um, late Wednesday. And, and we were gonna, went out and played about three holes of a practice round. A thunderstorm came in and they called everybody off the golf course. So he didn't even, he played three holes of a practice round before his, on his first U.S. Open. Um, unfortunately, wow. cut, but, uh, but, uh, but yeah, that was our first major, um, major experience. Well, that, that's a fantastic story. That's what I was looking for. Um, in bringing that to uh, to our listeners, I think that's really magic stuff. Golf is full of magic, and and you're part of it on a, on a weekly basis normally out there. And right now, we're not getting to see the magic. Um, you know, what are your thoughts about the as as the year picks back up and you guys get back out there? What are your thoughts about the season, and and, and what do you think will unfold for the the PGA Tour this year, being so different? Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, I think I think the the PGA Tour is in a in a tough spot. Um, I just uh, the longer this this plays out, and and the longer we're we're suspended from playing, um, it's just uh, I don't know how they can com- complete the season. Um, it's uh, I think uh, set to 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 end the end of August, sometime around that 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 time frame, um, and uh, I just I I don't know how they're going to do it. It's uh, in my mind, I can't wrap around uh, how you can be fair. I mean, there's so much with, with this game, with the with the PGA Tour. There's no um, there's no guarantees that uh, your livelihood depends on how you perform that year, and uh, you have to keep your card. And if you're not gonna give yourself, uh, if you if they're not gonna allow um, players to have full seasons, and 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 their livelihood is on the line, I don't know how they can how they can do that. And then not only that, the PGA Tour. Um, they have the corn Ferry tour, they have the Canadian tour, they have, you know, down in South America and in China. And so they're, they're part of this. So if corn Ferry tour that members that, that have only played, that they've only played a handful of events. So how do you, how do you determine who make, who gets their PGA card? Um, if, uh, if they've only played five or six events. So, um, it's just a, it's a tight rope that they have to walk. I don't know. I guess once they, figure out when we can get back to playing. They're saying uh, middle of May right now, which is a month away. Um, but um, I don't know how that's going to happen. I really don't. I, 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 I can't really see us getting back much more than maybe, you know, again, I haven't heard, I'm just speculating, but the middle of June, maybe. Right. Um, and then um, I've heard as well. And then, uh, and then as far as, you know, the, these majors and, and with it, with a, with a non-calendar season, um, what does it mean? Uh, it looks like we're going to have six majors in one season um, with moving the, the 
the Masters to uh, November and then uh, whatever the other tournament is um, coming in September. I, I, um, I don't know which PGA or USO, whatever. I think it's the US Open. Um, but uh, that means we'll have six majors in one year. So I, I don't know. I don't know how that's all going to work. And, and um, uh, I just... Uh, the the unique the unique thing about the PGA tour is what people I people around here and 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 when I talk to friends and, and members at the club when uh, um, they they're like well golf can just get back to playing I mean you you guys aren't a contact sport you're using your own equipment um, you don't have to play with fans I mean it's just you know we need something on TV and things like that and which part of that is true but what people don't don't they have to remember that about a third of the the membership on the PGA Tour are international players, so they're home right now. They're 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 in China. They're in South Africa. They're in Argentina. They're they're all over the world. It's a global membership. So, you know, you have to these guys. They have to be able to get here to play. Um, and then once they get here, they they may be have to quarantine for two weeks. You don't know. Um, and then at the same time, they're home right now with restrictions where they can't play. So. Um, you have to put all that into, you know, in the play as well. So it's not, it's not as, it's not as cut and dry as people think it is. Sure. I, I think, um, as we're looking at the, the whole world, you know, everybody's got these same type of questions as to when we're going to get back to some kind of normalcy. I don't think there's going to ever be the same normal that we enjoyed, uh, eight, nine weeks ago. I don't think that's even possible. Uh, moving forward and it's going to be an interesting thing to see i mean i think golf is going to change i think uh the pga tour is going to have to make some big adjustments moving forward and uh we'll, we'll just have to wait and see unfortunately we're not in those decision making situations right now we just have to do our best correct but you know tell me what your thoughts about you know how augusta national is going to look in november i mean what could we see in uh in november with the masters weather uh I believe what we're going to see is uh, we're going to see a, a, a wet golf course. I think with um, with the overseed that they do, um, I and this is just going back from prior experience when when Kevin qualified for his first um, for his first Masters. Um, w- one thing that you're able to do is is you kind of become a member of Augusta when you qualify for it. So. Kevin spent uh, that winter, that off season, um, going over to Augusta, living in Aiken, only about a half an hour away. He went over and played quite a few practice rounds um, during the the winter months, during November, December, January, early early uh, early spring before Augusta, and that golf course was playing so long um, that uh, he made the comment that he'll never do that again because. You know, you're hitting, you're almost hitting like a five wood in a number one because it just hits into that hill and just doesn't go anywhere. So I think we're in, in November because they overseed it. Um, you have to have, you have to put water on those, those fairways. Um, it'll no doubt in my mind, it's going to look beautiful, but um, it's going to play into the hands of a, of a, of a longer player. The guys that, that can hit it, it's going to be softer. So the fairways are going to be, even though the rough isn't that bad, um, there really is no rough, to be honest with you. But um, you know, the fairways going to be wider because they're softer, um, and uh, it, it's going to play into the, the guys that the, the Rory and the DJ and the Bubba's and 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 those type of players that are I think going to have a huge advantage there um, because of that. So, um, I and that's just going from what uh, you know from what I've seen. The, 
part of the cool part of qualifying for the masters is Kevin, um, is able to, when he, when we went, um, he's able to, he has to use a club caddy, but, uh, um, I'm able to go. He's also allowed to, uh, one guest that can walk with us. So, um, during those, that time we qualified for the first masters, um, he would have a club caddy and play with a member. And then I was able to, to walk along with him. So, um, learn the golf course and things like that. So I was able to see the golf course, um, during, during those winter months and, and how soft it really was and how, how tough it was playing. Um, and the difference between then and, and April, um, is huge. So, um, that's just what I'm basing my, my theories on, but, you know, Augusta, they have the ability to do whatever they want to do. So with this sub air on the greens and in the fairways and everything, who knows that people may think that, and I could be totally wrong. Right. Absolutely. That's going to be left to be seen and for sure. And it's, uh, you know, as you, as you get back out there, you're, you're looking forward to it, I'm sure. And you, you're enjoying your time at home, like most of us, but you're looking forward to it. When you get out on tour, you know, and play, who are some of the, the, your favorite, uh, pairings you, you guys like to be paired with certain players. Who do you enjoy playing with and being around out there as a player? Um, you know, there, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it just to say it, but there, there are very few that I don't enjoy, um, being around. Um, and it's not really, you know, I, I look at pairings. Um, it, it's a kind of a twofold cause I, I look at pairings, how, how Kevin, Kevin likes to chat between the round, you know, between shots. Um, when it comes time to hit a shot, he, he, he focuses in and, and, but he does like to like to talk between the shots. So it's, uh, somebody that, uh, that we play a lot of practice rounds with somebody like Kevin Chapel, um, somebody like uh, Scott Brown, you know, guys that, that have the same interests as he does. He loves, he's an outdoorsman. He loves the fish. He loves to hunt. Um, he has a farm that he does a lot of work on, um, that, uh, that he loves. So he, did, he loves talking that he loves talking Georgia football, anything Georgia. So, you know, any of his past teammates, anybody that went to Georgia, um, but the reality, <laughs> when I look at the pairings, I always think about who, who's the caddies in the group. Cause that's who I'm yeah. going to have in the day with. Right. Um, they're, you know, they're, they're all such, they're, they're, they're just such great guys. I mean, I know there's, we're a big fraternity out there and there are very few that, uh, that I don't enjoy being around. And, and, uh, you know, there may be a few guys out there that, uh, that we don't see eye to eye and we probably never go to dinner with, but, uh, but when it comes down to work and if I need some help breaking a bunker or getting something done, I mean, we, we have each other's back and for, for five hours we're out there. It's, uh, it's all, it's all good. And, um, but as far as Kevin, I just, I just love to see that pairing when I know that, uh, that he can do have that banter with, um, somebody like a, he loves, uh, 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 Bubba Watson loves to, to kind of give that banter back and forth with Kevin and, you know, talk about how, you know, hey, you know, how how far back did he hit driver off? Hey, he'll turn around. Did you hit driver or did you hit three wood? You know, that kind of deal. And Kevin, because he, he, he can give it and he can take it just as well as anybody else. So anybody that can give that banter back and forth uh, is is an awesome parent for us. Yeah. So who's who's the funniest caddy that you hang around with? The absolute funniest personality as a caddy? Uh, the one of the funniest that uh, that I love, people won't know him. Um he he used to caddy for Colt Nost, um, and his name is John Davenport. Um, he now caddies for Scott Brown. Uh, Scott and and Kevin play quite a few practice rounds together. But this kid, um, he can take any situation, and um, 
make a joke out of it. Um, and just as little one-liners, um, it's, um, some of them are not politically correct, but then yeah. uh, it'll make, make you laugh. And if, uh, if there's a, if we walk into the lunchroom and there's a seat at his table, by gosh, I'm going to, I'm going to take, take that seat. And, yeah. uh, um, but there, there are times, you know, I, I, I kid around with him and tell him, you know, he, he's so funny. You can only take him in small doses because it, it, it'll wear you out after about five, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. But, uh, and he's a great cat. Yeah. He's, he's, he's carrying a 50 pound bag. Doesn't wear you out. You know, you get it. <laughs> but, uh, and we, we've had communicate. He'll send me these stupid little videos from TikTok or from uh, Snapchat or something. And, uh, you know, it's just, I'll, I'll open it up and I'll just, I'll laugh for five minutes. It's, it's, uh, he's a unique one out there. That's for sure. That's fantastic. So do uh, you, you have a favorite master sandwich? That's, that's been my question last week. Cause I was eating pimento cheese and egg salad. I could decide which one I love best. How about yourself? Well, anybody, anybody that has seen me can pretty much tell me any sandwich is probably my favorite, <laughs> but, uh, no, you know, I, I started with that, uh, what is it called? The pimento cheese sandwich. But yeah. um, then I tried the egg salad and um, that egg salad is phenomenal. I mean, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. So I would yeah. say the egg salad sandwich is my favorite. Yeah. Somebody, I think I read somewhere where you used to have a nickname was ice. You would tell, <laughs> you would tell us what that stands for. <laughs> uh, they called me ice and um, not for like Top Gun or anything. It was for, it stood for I can eat. I love it. Well, you don't get, you don't get those big calves, but you know, going around and picking on the carrot and, and the vegetable tray, my friend, you know, but, it's uh, like, people are like, man, how do you get those calves? I mean, you work out every day. I said, every day I pick up the you know, stand up. It's a workout, you know, carrying this exactly. body around with a workout. Exactly. And I think it was, uh, was it last year that you had an injury going into Augusta? I mean, you broke your toe or something right before going to Augusta. Yeah, unfortunately, the last, uh, I'd say the last two years has been, uh, it's been a struggle for me. Um, but uh, the week before at the match play in Austin, um, I woke up uh, Wednesday night, used the bathroom, and I came back and um, I hit the bedpost on my bed when I went to climb back into the bed. And, you know, whenever you stub a toe, you know, it, it hurts for those, you know, 10 seconds or whatever, but I feel right back leave was about three o'clock in the morning but then when I rolled out of bed the next morning to to get ready I knew I did something and um it uh I didn't know it until I actually came home uh, I called my doctor on while I was flying home on Monday and I said I have to get this checked out and I had x-rays as soon as I came home and sure enough my middle toe of my right foot was uh was broken so um uh I just and there's nothing to do about it um they put what they call a buddy a buddy wrap around it where you kind of tape it or you strap it to a, to a toe that's next to it and, um, and go on your way. But it, uh, it's quite a bit of pain, but uh, then I, you know, I, I fell in Hawaii this year. I, I just, you know, they say uh, big people fall hard and I fall. So um, it, I, I had hip total hip replacement a year and a half ago. And, uh, and then I fell in Hawaii and uh, fell right on my left hip Um and uh, I've been struggling with that now this year. So it's it's been one thing after another. Um, turning 50, it, it gets tough. And unfortunately, carrying around this weight, my body is kind of breaking down a little bit. So 
I'm trying to do the things I need to do um, and and get better, but it's it's not it's a, it's been a long road. And um, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, that's part of the, that's part of the job. It's uh, it's what we do. It's uh, there's no rest time for us. There's no, there's no downtime. But so now that we have this time, it's time. It's kind of you have to use this time to to get your body back and and uh, and and get get back into um, good physical shape and and uh, and go from there. But it's it definitely been a struggle. Yeah, I tell you, I, I developed a tremendous respect for what you guys do. Um, last August, I got the opportunity to go to Ireland and play golf with uh, three of my really good buddies, and we walked every round. We had caddies, uh, but we didn't even carry the bag. And and the walking, we played eight rounds of golf in 10 days. Uh, had one day off kind of in between, and, and we walked every day. And uh, I was just amazed at, at how challenging that is in terms of um, I, I had blisters. I don't know if you've ever had blisters on your feet or your toes, but, uh, the caddies over there were very, very helpful. They told me about this product you could buy in the drugstores called compete. And it was a real fancy little bandaid type thing you put over the blisters. And without that, I could not have completed every round, but I did. And, uh, it just, you know, developed a new respect for what you guys do because it's, it's an unbelievable physical challenge. Just walk that many miles. We're talking four to six miles a day, typically, and for you, it might be a little bit more uh, from time to time. But it yeah, was unbelievable. Yeah, you know these these Apple watches and these uh, and these things that have it's uh, you know from the time I my I get on property to the time I leave, it's anywhere between eight to twelve miles a day from you know going to the driving range and the putting green and chasing down divots and you know, everything else like that. It's, uh, it's about eight to 12 miles a day for us. And, and, uh, but you, you realize how important, you know, good socks are and good shoes are and, and, um, you know, things like that. You got to take care of your feet. If your feet are hurting, I mean, you, you, the rest of your body's going to hurt. Oh yeah. Tough, tough deal. Um, well, listen, I tell you, we're going to wrap up with a couple of few quick, short questions and we'll fire a few at you just kind of get some more, uh, some more fun going. And they're all golf related, so no no worries. Um, how many hole in ones you had as a golfer? Four. Four hole in ones. What's um what's the count on double eagles? Two. Oh my gosh. That's a lot of double eagles. How about lowest uh eighteen hole score? Uh sixty one, but in competition sixty three. Wow. Lowest nine hole score. Lowest nine hole score is twenty nine, but I was eight under through eight and bogey the last hole. How about uh, your favorite top ranked golf course that you've played? Uh, would be Pinehurst number two. And how about your favorite top ranked golf course you've not yet played but wish to play? Uh, from what I've heard, is probably uh, is it Cypress out in by Pebble Beach. Is that what it's called? Cypress, mm-hmm. Cypress Point? Yep. Cypress Point, yep. Or that'll probably happen. Yeah, I've got a chance to see that one with uh, my buddy Bobby Clamp that took us over there one day. We were out there teaching a golf school, and it, that's an amazing place. I didn't get to play that day because I had a flight back, but that place is unreal special yeah. for sure. Um, so how about your um, – if uh, money were no object – what kind of golf clubs would you play? Uh, as poorly as I'm hitting it right now, probably ping. 
Okay. What do you play? What what clubs do you play? Uh, right now, oh, uh, well, my kids now that they've gotten bigger, my uh, my my son took my old. I had to have Callaways. Um, my son took my old my set of Callaways I was using. Um, and then, um, fortunate enough, um, Cobra um, Cobra made me a set of clubs last year, so uh, I put those in the bag. And I was playing with my daughter about a month ago, and she's hit a couple of them with them, and she liked them, so I gave them to her. So, um, <laughs> so You're I playing I, Geraldine's clubs now. <laughs> You're playing your wife's clubs. Exactly. <laughs> I have uh, right now my right-handed set of clubs. Kind of a fun little story. You got a minute? Is uh, my right-handed set of clubs are now my wife's, which were uh, Callaway Great Big Bertha that she never uses. Um, but because of my uh, my little issue with my hip and wanting to kind of take this time to kind of recover, I, I was getting a little bit of pain swinging right-handed. I, I could play a couple of days in a row, but then I, you know, then I'd struggle. I have a little bit of pain, so I decided to take up left-handed two weeks ago. So I am now. The last two weeks, I've been playing left-handed, um, yeah. and have a kind of a uh, whatever clubs were laying around the the inside of Mimosa Hills bag room is kind of what I've picked up. So I'm playing left-handed. <laughs> so yeah. I, I take that that project on, and it's kind of cool because I, I play the four tees with my daughter, and uh, and and it's fun. I, I my goal was to break a hundred and, and I did that my third time around. And now uh, the last four rounds I've been in the eighties playing from the four tees. So, um, wow. One little project. So enjoy that. Absolutely. I think more golfers should try that, especially the better you are as a right-handed player. Um, and, and it, most coaches, you know, can really appreciate the challenge of learning something new from that side of the ball. And I think it's a great way to do it. Fantastic. You know, and what I've learned is, is kind of being a parent, um, you know, when I, when I would help my kids with, with pitching or may, maybe a bunker shot or something like that, something that seems so easy to me, but then I turn around and try to do a left-handed and now I can see where their struggle comes from. Right. Cause I can't do it. I can't do what I'm trying to tell them to do. So, um, that's, uh, it's helped me kind of, I'm not to say I'm an instructor or anything, but it's helped me kind of be a little, uh, less hard. I say, um, on my kids, yeah. <laughs> you know, why yeah. can't that it's so easy well no it's not it's not that easy exactly i think uh, i think more uh more golf instructors and and parents that coach their kids should try that you know they'd probably understand the challenge of the game a little bit more absolutely oh man i've i've enjoyed my chat with you today i know we're going to wrap it up but i tell you you've you've uh you've given our area a lot to to cheer for and pull for and and we can't wait to see you and kevin back out on the golf course and We'll get some more stories from the tour as soon as you get out there and create them for us. And just want to wish you the best, you and your family, to stay safe and healthy and uh, and get that PGA Tour rolling so we can watch you and Kevin go win some more cash. And maybe next year it's not a Ford truck that he buys you. It's a you know new house or something, you know, tell him to, to sweeten the deal a little bit. I don't know. He's got to step up. I mean, shoot. He's step up. high with that truck. <laughs> well, we love you, man. We appreciate you taking time to spend – with us this morning here um and listeners i tell you if you want to reach out to Dwayne, i know he's on some of the social media sites so tell us how to get in touch with you through social media if, if the uh, listeners want to say hello uh, it's pretty easy it's just my name d-u-a-n-e-b-o-c-k and uh let's see i'm on twitter i'm on facebook and um i'm on instagram so 
Um, but I use my name, so it's easy easy to find. And uh, yeah, sometimes uh, it might be uh, I might go a couple of weeks, and you might not see anything but my kids on there. But uh, but I love my kids, I love my family, and uh, so I'm proud of what they do. And and uh, also, I just want to thank you for uh, you know having me on, and uh, thank for all thank you for uh, for all the support. It's uh, it's just I'm overwhelmed by all the support I have from this community and around here and uh, around Hickory, North Carolina, uh, Morganton and, and things like that. It's, uh, it's, it's quite overwhelming and I, I appreciate everything. Well, we're really proud of you and, and what you do. And uh, we look forward to more great things from you, buddy. We'll talk soon. And that's it listeners. That's been our guest today is Mr. Dwayne Bach from Morganton, North Carolina caddy for Kevin Kisner. And uh, we can't thank him enough for spending a little time with us today, sharing some stories. We'll look forward to another show. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, if you're an advertiser on the Mesh Podcast Network, it's a great low-cost way to reach a targeted audience. For more information on advertising on this show or other shows on the Mesh Network, you can send us an email at info at themesh.tv or by visiting the Mesh website at www.themesh.tv and clicking the Advertise button. Thanks again, listeners, and Mr. Dwayne Bach for joining us. Stay safe out there, golfers, and if your golf course is open, get out and play. Uh, social distancing as it is, it's an opportunity to learn, grow, and enjoy. Take care, everyone. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.